Okay. All right. Well, uh, yes. So um, <clears throat> it's kind of a challenge to speak about Christian spirituality because it makes you sound like you're some kind of spiritual giant or uh, guru or uh, cult leader or, you know. And uh, my, the last thing I want to do is be any of those or pretend to be any of those. Um, and so, but this has been on my heart a lot. I think if I were to, um, to, to say, to summarize my career, quote unquote, as, um, someone who's serving God from the very beginning, my, my goal has been to help people walk with God. And, uh, you know, it's, you guys may already know a lot of what I'm going to tell you. And if so, you know, the only thing I can say is, well, it probably doesn't hurt to hear it again. But I'm hoping that there will be um, some new stuff or at least new angles on stuff you already know. So, um, and <clears throat> I'm not, uh, all right, I can honestly say that everything I'm going to tell you I have lived out, but... <laughs> not to the degree I would have liked. So I'm not really going to give you anything I haven't already experienced or already explored. But having done so, it's, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there's so much more. I Or to put it another way, my life has not been close to what it could have been. Or maybe it was. Who knows? Given who I who I am, who knows? God knows. But uh, but I feel like I've missed a lot of opportunities, made a lot of mistakes. But I also feel that, um, like it says in Second Corinthians, um, my hello, uh, my grace is sufficient. Um, this is God speaking. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And, uh, you know, I could say all, all about, you know, weakness and all that. So don't, I, I feel like, you know, I, since I know some of you at least, uh, I feel like there is a, a camaraderie here. It's, I don't see myself as uh, some guy on a mountaintop telling everybody what, you know. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, so let's, so spirituality, what is it? Okay, and uh, there are lots of views of, of spirituality. When I was working, uh, I, I used to work as a, a software engineer, and uh, there was a, a woman from India, a co-worker of mine from India, and she came up to me and said, I'm spiritual. I think you're spiritual too, aren't you? And, and I said, uh, well, I didn't know how to answer that, but... Then she said, she started telling me about her uh, spiritual journey. She had read the book. Uh, she had a book called uh, The Secret. You guys have, or no, it was a movie. Anyway, it was this thing about, you know, if you, if you keep your mind on the things you want, you'll get them. If you keep your mind on things you don't want, you'll get them too. Uh, so, you know, uh, she had done a, she'd done a pilgrimage in, in India and uh, her marriage was a total wreck. I mean, I'm not kidding. She used to come to 
work and complain to one of my other coworkers about her marriage all the time. So it was a little bit, you know, not that my marriage is perfect or anything, as my son could tell you. But um, I sort of feel like if you're, you know, if you are a spiritual person, it ought to do something to you, to your life. But anyway, enough of that. Um, gotta stop saying that. So s- spirituality is not looking within you. It's not about finding it in there, you know, uh, because it's not there. Uh, we are not enough, to put it very bluntly. We are going to find that sooner or later we're going to run out of ourselves. We're going to f- come to the end of ourselves. And if we and if we don't, we're going to be probably deluding ourselves. Um, so it's not don't look. It's not, spirituality is not looking within you to find the spirit in you. Uh, it's not self fulfillment. Christian spirituality is not self fulfillment. It's not self help. And I've noticed um, one of the one of the reasons I I think doing this, something like this is important is that I've noticed. There are a lot of people kind of into Christian self-help. That is, there are, they see Christian spirituality or practices or whatever as a way to kind of get your life better, shape up your life, um, or to find have a more fulfilling Christian life or whatever. Now, when I talk about things like self-fulfillment or self-help, I don't want to denigrate, you know, people coming to a better place in their lives and I do believe um, as you come to know God and know him better you will come to a better place in your life but if you're doing it for that reason it's kind of like you're you you want to use God to your for your own ends so I look at God and I say God I'd like you to make me you know less shy more outgoing more popular more this more that the other thing well what about God himself don't I care? It's kind of like if I if I were to date a woman, you know, back in the day when I did things like that, because she had a lot of money. So I'm going to date this woman because she's got a lot of money and maybe she'll give me some or spend it on me, which is kind of like if you're looking for these things from God. Again, these things can be um, what I call side effects of knowing God. In fact, I'm pretty sure they will be, but that's not why you go you that's not why you go at it okay on the other hand you do tend to you do say to you a lot of people come to god including myself because they just say well i'm not enough and so you come to god because maybe there's something in him that's that's better um but if you're if you're thinking i'm going to get this out of god or get that out of god you're barking up the wrong tree god god will tend not to um, well, I don't want to say God won't ever do those things because you'll be amazed at how far God is willing to stoop, as it were. But you won't really know God at best unless you know him for his own sake. And I remember when people used to say things like that, and I used to think, oh, that's really super spiritual. I don't know what the heck they're talking, knowing God for his own sake. What does that mean? Oh, here's somebody. Oh, <laughs> Hi. Oh my gosh. Anyway, uh, so I used to say that's so super spiritual. I didn't know what the heck it meant, you know. But then over time, I be- began began to realize what relationships were about, 
and uh, I realized that you don't exploit relationships for yourself. You you seek them for the other person. There's Sabrina. <laughs> anyway, it's not rules and regulations, precepts and paths, principles and practices. Okay, um, you know everybody wants to know how to do it. Ten steps to a better Christian life, or you know. Um, prayer in 20 lessons or, you know, I don't know. Um, and the, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, if you see somebody, let's say you see a, a guy who's got a, a, a book, How to Improve Your Marriage in two weeks or 20 days or something, what can you guess about his marriage? It needs improving, right? So if you're, if you're in a relationship and you're trying to look for principles or, or things to do that will make the relationship better, it's, it, you're, it's probably because you're not, you, you know, you're, you're not really feeling good about the relationship. And, I'm, and what I'm trying to say is that that's not the way to go about it. Relationships don't work like that. Okay. Okay, and if anybody has any questions, I haven't really said much yet. So it's all about the Holy Spirit. Okay, this should be, this is kind of obvious. Um, it's a supernatural relationship. So this may not be, this may not be the way you thought about it before. But as Christians, we, uh, we experience, live in, work out, walk in a supernatural relationship where God's present in you. And I always like to kind of say that because it sounds kind of spooky. And, uh, but if you, but as Jesus, or sorry, Paul, Paul said, um, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So if you don't have the spirit of Christ living in you, you don't belong to him. Okay. Now I'm not, if you don't, well, what's, I'm not saying, oh, you know, go away or anything. I'm saying, you know, find out how to have the Spirit of Christ living in you, right? You know, um, let me encourage you that that's what you want. But um, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't have this supernatural relationship, you don't have the Holy Spirit um, corroborating with your spirit, that you are a child of God, then you're not. You see? Okay. And uh, I'll tell you, the minute I became a Christian, practically, uh, all right, not the minute, but the day I became a Christian, I, I went from being a total atheist, not believing in God, and by the that night, um, I was walking around talking with God and sensing his presence. I don't know how that, well, I do know how that happened, but it was, I, I was totally not looking for it. It was totally unexpected. It totally changed everything. So anyway, um, to put it most succinctly, we're talking about walking with God. Okay. And, you know, you see this throughout the Bible. There are people who walked with God. Um, like, for example, Enoch. Enoch's my favorite, right? He walked with God and suddenly... He wasn't there anymore. So, well, you might say, hmm, do I really want that? Well, <laughs> I would say, yeah. <laughs> you get you get to 
take a shortcut, shortcut to heaven, right? Yes, but but the point is is to walk with God. That's that's your life, okay? That's your life. Your life as a Christian is walking with God. And I I think there are a lot of Christians who don't know what that means, okay? Um, it, it's not something that they experience on a daily basis. Um, I, I, anyway, yeah, oh, there's this song. <clears throat> I uh, was going to play a clip, but I'm, I'm not going to even try, given I don't know where the, the, uh, all that is, all that, how that would, that would work. I will sing the chorus. <clears throat> My voice no longer works, but that's okay. Um, just pretend it sounds reasonable. Um, let's see. Okay. Okay. Uh, now walk with God, and He will be your dearest friend. Wherever you go, in everything you do. And may his love, and may your life reflect his love to everyone. Now walk with God, and he will walk with you. Okay, the reason I sang that is because I learned that when I was like a, a pretty young Christian. And it's been in my head ever since because I think it really captures, like I say, the most succinct way to look at our life as a Christian. And what's interesting to me is it's got two, there are two angles, right? You know, walk with God and he'll be your dearest friend. And then your life will reflect his love to everyone. So there is the vertical relationship with you and God. And then there's the outflowing to other people. And that is how it works. You know, there's a, what I call spiritual directionality. The, um, you have the, if you say, you know, God loves you, therefore you should blank. Most people, a lot of people would say you should love God. But that's not what the Bible actually says. It's God loves you, therefore you should love one another. You know, you should love others. And so that idea of the flow of, I don't know, the spirit, the the satisfaction of life, the overflow of life comes from God through you, filling the empty place that we're always trying to fill and then flows out to other people because it overflows. Because we're always looking for enough. And if you took all the love that we all have and put it in a pile in the middle of the floor and everybody took as much as they thought they needed, you think it would last? <laughs> Enough for all of us? You know, probably not. We all, we, we all feel like we need so much, right? We all have that empty place. That's why Jesus in um, John 7, I forget the, the exact verse, but Jesus says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Your belly is a thing you're always trying to fill. You're always saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. But what he's saying is, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And, he, and then John says he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so through the Holy Spirit, like I said, it's all about the Holy Spirit. 
we are we then have this overflow of life that that can touch other people's lives okay uh even if you're a selfish sob like me you can still end up being concerned with other people you know so and that's from god that's from the fact that god has touched me god has touched you you now have more than you need more than enough of whatever okay so anyway we'll talk more about that um so what's a relationship a relationship is mutual self-revelation i actually call it sharing of your being with another person and so it's mutual you share yourself with the other and the other shares himself with you so so it starts with god god reveals himself to you okay no one has ever seen god the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father he has made him known this is jesus god wanted to be known a lot of people think you know god is hiding out and god is not interested in and does, god doesn't want us to understand him god doesn't want us to get close to him whatever don't touch god or your arm will get burned off or something right but uh um god went through a lot of trouble if you think about it so that we could be known so he could be known by us he, he even became incarnate in jesus christ so that we could know what god is like okay not only that look at this john 15 uh 14 to 15 i no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his lord is up to instead i call you friends because i have made known to you everything i have heard from my father now think about that a lot of again a lot of us think that god is holding out on us that god is is not making himself clear not letting us know him god has put all his cards on the table jesus says you are my friends because i've told you everything a friend is someone you tell everything to right a friend is someone that you reveal yourself to well that's what god did to us and actually if you think about it how do you know what god's ultimate um what's the right word ultimate uh uh feeling maybe feeling love what does what is god what, what's god's agenda for us what does god want to do with us how do you know right if you think about it you know it's kind of scary how do we know that god is not some cosmic sadist who's going to torture everybody you know and and build up our hopes to make us make us fall um but we are told that god's heart was on display anybody can anybody finish that sentence god's heart was on display anybody on the cross wow that's thank you <laughs> You you want to know God? You want to know what God's up to? Look at the cross. That's what God is up to. You see, everything you need to know about God in in terms of how He thinks and cares and feels, etc., about you, 
is there is can be seen with Jesus there on the cross. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Okay, so not only does do we know God, God reveals himself to us, but God knows us. And a lot of people don't uh, pick up on this because it's not real clear. Well, first of all, we have this idea that God knows us. Of course God knows. He knows everything, right? But, you know, the Bible, um, there is that whole distinction between knowing about and knowing in the sense of knowing personally. And I think there is a, there is that in the Bible in regard to God and us. So what, So in 1 Corinthians 8.3, we're told, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Implying if you don't love God, he doesn't know you. But but we hear Jesus say things like that. He says, depart from me, I never knew you, to the people who were evildoers, right? You know? And so the idea is by revealing ourselves, by entering into this relationship with God, by opening ourselves up to him, we know him, but he knows us. There's mutuality. It goes both ways. Okay? It's interactive. And then just to know that that's not the only verse in the Bible, Galatians 4 and 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, right? So, blah, blah, blah. I, I cut it off there. But the point is that you are known. Paul kind of does a double take here. It's kind of like, say, oh, now you know God. You say, well, wait a minute. That's not what really matters. What really matters is that you're known by God. And I always use the example of, uh, let's say you, uh, it's a bad example. Anyway, uh, I'm trying to think of it. Okay, let's say you, you know the president of the United States, right? So you go to the White House, bang on the door, get shot. Now, you, you want to you get in to see the president. And the guard says, uh, who are you? I said, well, well, I know the president. I mean, I, I've read all his books. Did he write any books? I've, I've given money to his campaign. I've, 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 I've heard all his speech. I know everything about the president. And the guard will say, well, does he know you? Right? He won't let you in unless, unless you're on this list of people that the president knows that he lets in, right? So you go up there and bang, bang, bang. And he says, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, the president knows me. I'm on his list of people who have access 24-7. And say, what's your name? What's your ID? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, yeah, you can come in. If he knows you, you can come in. You see, if you know him, it doesn't matter. You see, well, that's the way it works with God. Does God know you? Have you made your, have you opened yourself up to God and made yourself known to God? You see, um, and really, honestly, this mutual self-revelation, self-sharing of existence and so on, this is all there is to it. This is it. We could stop here. Let's all go out and never mind. <laughs> um, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. You see, so what it's saying here is that you have a relationship with God. Okay, that's all that matters. And I, I really, I know that this kind of doesn't quite resonate with some Christians. They think, well, there's there's more to it. There's theology or there's practices or whatever. But it re there really isn't anything other than this. 
And the, the thing about relationships is that they are individual. Your relationship with God won't look like mine in some regards. Maybe it will in some regard. Okay, but the point is that if you have a relationship with God, you will find yourself with this mutuality with God. You will encounter God and you will expose yourself and reveal yourself to God. Okay, and you will intend that. Okay, so this goes to grace and faith. Okay, <clears throat> um, there's this, uh, there's this uh, famous story about Confucius. And uh, somebody came to Confucius and said, uh, one of these dukes wants to know how to run his dukedom. What, do you, what would you tell him? He's going to come. He wants, and I'm wondering what you'd tell him. And Confucius says, fix the names. And the guy says, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, there's a little byplay there. But Confucius says, if you don't know what you're talking about, you can't rule the country. If you don't know what the words mean, you can't rule your country. You can't do anything right. You got to understand what you're saying and what you're thinking. And one of my um, big gripes is that among Christians, all our words tend to gradually turn into cliches. You know, they tend to gradually become sort of emptied of meaning. And so, for example, you know, you have words like, you know, holy. What does holy mean? It means good. You know, uh, what does. Uh, I don't know. I could just, yeah. What does righteous mean? Good, you know. And you just go on like that. What does grace mean? Good, <laughs> right? You know. And and none of it means anything because it all means in your mind the same thing. I mean, I I like to play a little joke on people and say, what do you you know? You, you after we sing a song that says, you know, God is holy, I'll I'll play this little joke and I'll say, what is what does it mean to say that God is holy? And <laughs> Everybody gets deer in their headlights look, right? Deer in the headlights look, right? Uh, what does it mean to say that God is holy? And if you push hard enough, you eventually can be like Socrates and kind of evoke it from people. But it takes some time and it doesn't always work. Anyway, I want us to understand what we're talking about. And these are two, I mean, obviously, if you know anything about Christianity, you know that these are two really important words, right? And if you don't know what they mean, then you're going to not know what some of the most important aspects of the, our, our um, religion mean, okay? So let's talk about this a little bit because, and also, these are both relational words. These are the words that embody our relationship with God. Okay, grace and faith. So grace, what is grace? Grace is simply the offer of a relationship. Grace is saying, will you have a relationship with me? You know, And in human terms, it's kind of like a guy wants to ask a girl out on a date or a guy wants to go out on a date with a girl. Well, if he sits there waiting for her to call him, chances are he'll be waiting a long time. You know, I mean, it used to be more so where girls would never ask guys out on dates, hardly ever. Nowadays, I don't know. I, I've lost track of all that, fortunately. But but anyway, um, but the idea is who takes the initiative? The guy in this case, right? So the guy calls the girl and says, will you go out with me? All right. Now the girl now has the option of responding or not, right? 
So grace is the offer of a relationship. It's God's initiative. Okay. The idea here is that God, it's a lot of people will say grace is unmerited favor. Okay. And someone pointed out that the word merit never appears in the Bible. And uh, I think it was Calvin that said that. So the idea that um, grace has anything to do with merit is kind of a, uh, a red herring. It's kind of, uh, it's not, you don't want to talk about merit with regard to grace. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, grace is simply my, my working definition. The thing I always tell people, and if you can remember this, you'll be in good shape. Grace is love that goes first. That's all it is. Okay. And that's always what God does. You see, well, what was the most firstest thing that God did toward each of us that made everything else possible? simple right he created us now if that's not taking the initiative i don't know what is you know so god made us all now think about that if you make somebody that means you must really want them around right you know a lot of people don't recognize the notion that creation was a tremendous act of love you wouldn't be here if god didn't love you into being anyway so god went first there and then and then so I was gonna. So then, when we got ourselves into the mess of the fall, God could have just left us there, mighty tempted to, but He took the initiative and basically waged a lengthy campaign to get us back. And so, uh, and that was that was culminated in the in Christ, the Son of God, offering Himself on our behalf. You can't offer. A relationship. Basically, think about it this way. Um, Christ basically said, God is going to be with you no matter what. You can be at your worst. You can do whatever you want. He says, I'm not leaving. So we proved it. We murdered him, rejected him, tortured him to death. And he couldn't get rid of him. That must have been really disappointing to the the Pharisees, you know, they killed him. Yeah, finally done with this guy. What? He's out there walking around? Oh my gosh, you know. Can't, you know, it's funny to me. It's always funny to me that when um, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, um, their response to that was, let's kill them both. You know, you're you're barking up the wrong tree here. You're not going to get rid of them like that. You, Lazarus died. You couldn't, and now he's back. What are you going to, you think he's going to just kind of lay down and, well, stay dead, you know? So, <laughs> so he didn't. Um, anyway, so faith is the response to the offer. So faith implies that there is all a pre-existing, so to speak, offer. God says, I will have a relationship with you. Okay? Now, what are you going to do about it? Okay. I'll do. I'll go for it. It's like, it's like you call the girl on the phone. If you're a guy, you may call her up. Say, will you go out on a date with me? And she says, hmm, okay. Right? You know? And you can start breathing again. Right? Your heart starts beating again. and Right? You know? I mean, 
anyway. Um, so faith is the response to the offer. And you notice how a relationship only happens when you have the offer of the relationship, grace, met by the response to that offer, faith. Okay. Another word for faith is simply trust. Okay. A lot of us think of faith as bullet points, right? Do you believe do you believe that God, you know, exists? Check. Do you believe that he created the world in so many days? Whatever. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that, you know, Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day? Now, it's really good to believe these things. I believe these things, and I would expect anybody who was a Christian to have a pretty good understanding of these things. But that's not a relationship. It's like, it's like James says, the demons believe that God is one, and they tremble. And you can believe all this stuff, and it could scare the daylights out of you. In fact, I remember one time um, a friend of mine, um, uh, there was a coworker of mine, and I gave her a book called Mere Christianity. And uh, she wasn't a Christian. And she read the book, and she came to me and said, that book gave me nightmares. I said, oh, no, there is a God, you know? I mean, right? So for her, it was like, ugh, he's really there. What do I do, you know? And eventually she became a Christian is what she did. But, you know, but her first thing was to say, oh, my gosh, you know. So the point I'm trying to make here is that you can know everything there is to know about God, roughly, and still be scared of him or still not have a relationship with him, right? In fact, maybe the more you know about him, the less you want to be around him, right? Um, so faith is trusting God's promise, which is his offer of a relationship. God promises that if you believe, like Jesus says, um, uh, how, did that, how does that line go? Um, uh, to those who believed in him, to those who received him, who believed on his name, he gave the power to become children of God. Okay? So do you believe that? Do you believe that God is making that possible that by becoming by believing in Jesus by receiving him you can become a child of God you know and that implies that you, that if you don't do those things you aren't a child of God everybody has this kind of vague idea that we're all children of God all of humanity is children a child of God or children of God but that's not true okay you because because we have fallen away from God but you can become a child of God simply by trusting God's promise that if you receive Jesus, believe on his name, believe in who he is, you will have the power to become a child of God. Now, if you don't believe that, well, sorry, you know, what can I tell you, you know? Um, believe also, there's another thing, this is an important one, Believe that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, so a lot of people think, yeah, I know there's a God out there, but why would I care? You know, why would I want to know this God? He seems so far away. He seems uninvolved, you know. Um, but Hebrews tells us that in order to please God, we must believe that he is. And that, or sorry, in order to approach God, we must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, he's going to make it worth your while. 
you seek God, it will be worth your while, okay? You will get something wonderful out of it, all right? You have to believe that. Well, after all, if you don't believe that, why would you bother? Again, why would you even try to f approach God, okay? Now, let's no notice here that faith is totally dependent on grace. You see, now why is that so? Because God's initiative always comes first. God always makes the offer. He makes the offer when we wanted no part of God. For, um, um, what's that, that verse? Ah, I, I, I kind of freeze up when I'm trying to do this in real time. Let's see. For, for God commends his love to us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that right? Is that the one? Something like that. God, yeah, God demonstrates his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean, yet sinners? It means you're God's enemies. You don't want anything to do with God. At the very least, you're indifferent to God. Okay? But that was when God said, okay, I don't care that they're not interested. I'm going to let my son die on their behalf. That way, if they want it, they can get it. Okay? And that's how God views things. He says, I am going to bet, I'm going to make the bet that the offer will be compelling. That, Like, like there's a, a verse in John that says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Lifted up meaning lifted up on the cross. Because, think about it, if you really understand that, if you really understand there's somebody willing to die for you, and not only is he willing to die for you, but he's your rightful ruler it, it's kind of like I, I make this joke it, I'm going to try to not say jokes anymore I'm just going to say it but anyway <laughs> alright but anyway so I have this I, I have this saying that um, um, Caesar or you know our government wants you to send your sons to die for him like right so God sent his son to die for us See, there's a little bit of a... I mean, I like that one better, you know, to be honest. Uh, so anyway, God's offering makes our response possible. That's kind of axiomatic. If God doesn't offer, we're certainly not going to be able to track him down, right? If God doesn't make himself available, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to find him? You can go up to heaven and pull him down? I mean, you know, there's no getting at God unless he offers, Okay. But without faith, there's no relationship. You see how they work together here. If you, uh, if, if you, again, if there is a girl, say, who likes you, uh, but you never call her, she'll sit there thinking, if only, you know, and nothing will ever happen, right? If you, if you never make, take the initiative, Nothing will ever happen, you see. So both are necessary. I'm using that. I'm beating that analogy to death. You get what I'm saying, right? So um, um, God's offer makes faith possible, but to have a relationship, you need both ends. Now, faith is not a work. Why is faith? Some, some people think faith, if we make faith something from us, it's a work. And so that's not right. Um Faith is simply our response. We simply say, okay, right? 
you know, God offers a relationship, we say, hey, that sounds great to me. I'll take it. I, I'm not proud, you know, right? I'll take everything I can get, right? Because that's really the position you find yourself in with God. If you, if you aren't willing to take that position, you're going to miss out. Because God's got a lot there that just it mean that involves us abandoning ourselves, abandoning our pretense to competence and 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 uh, wholeness and any of those things. We just let ourselves go. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, so there's intentionality on both sides. Both of us, both sides mean it. Okay, God intends a relationship with us. God is out to get you, but in the best possible way you see it's like there I, I once had there was once this card i i saw and it said um i have the sneaking suspicion that people are conspiring to make me happy you know well god is conspiring to make you happy to make you not only happy but have eternal joy okay that's what god's doing in fact we're the ones who make it hard on him. Anyway, when we respond, we intend a relationship with God. We say, yes, I want this. Okay. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this mutual intentionality is because a lot of people will say, oh, faith is basically just letting God do whatever he wants. I don't really do much. I just trust God. Or if I'm supposed to do something, well, then that means I have to work for it. And I am 100% in agreement. In fact, I hate the idea that you become a Christian, grace through faith, you know, nice, free, and easy, right? You become a Christian, whosoever will, right? And then once you're in the door, it's like those bait and switch stores. You come in the door because they, they offer some, you know, $100, 60-inch uh, flat screen, right? And you get in the store and you find out that they're all sold out, haha. And you they're gonna sell you something, you know, that you are not really interested in. And that's the way people look at Christianity. You get in the door, grace through faith, uh, grace and faith, and you once you get in the door, now you gotta work for it. You gotta be you gotta work for your sanctification. Now we I'm gonna mention something about that in a minute. But what, I, what I'm trying to get at here is intentionality doesn't mean that. It's not bait and switch. Intentionality means you want to you get off the bench and into the game. It's kind of like um, another analogy I like to use is, you, let's say you get, you're a basketball player and you get drafted by the Warriors, you know. And you think, great, you know, I, I, I drafted in the first round or something, right? And so now you get millions of dollars, right? And so you think, man, I'm just going to kick back. I'm going to enjoy those millions of dollars, sit on the bench all season, not do anything, just collect my money. Does that make, <laughs> did that sound right to you? No, obviously what, yeah, it sounds good, right? You know, but, but what you want you want to be in the game. You want to be playing. You want to be part of what's going on, you see. And if someone told you, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you practice and then, you know, see if you can get in the game. And you say, oh, no, you're making me work for my salvation, you know, right? No, not at all. You want that. That's what you want. You want to play God's game. 
you see that's the point see what i what i see here is that people are thinking anything that i i try to do for god it's like i know one person who basically says well i was t i was talking about um how i'd i'd met a homeless guy well i don't think he was i don't know if he was homeless i think he was he was just really disabled he had he had diabetic amputations of his legs and when i would walk by i just kind of you know walk right by but i thought well why don't i just give him something so i started giving him something and then i thought well he's a human being and I and so I so I said to myself, I'm, all right, I'm going to give him something. Went over there, gave him something, pat him on the shoulder, said, you know, how you doing? Talked with him, said, how'd you get to be like this? That's how I found out he had diabetic amp amputations. And it's like, all of a sudden, it was like I felt, yeah, I mean, this is good. This is a good thing to do. It doesn't cost me much, you know, a dollar or two, or and and a few minutes of my time. So when I said this to someone, the guy was the guy said back he was very much it, not into um, having any sense that he has to do anything for his salvation, you know. So he was he said I'm really kind of uncomfortable with that. Um, it's not like you have to do something. I said no, no, you don't have to do it at all. It's totally voluntary. I didn't have to do any of that, but then I was really glad I did. You know, I really felt like I touched I kind of channeled into something that was God's game you know and I there are a lot of things like that there are a lot of ways that I I felt that that's happened okay but the point I'm trying to make is you want so you know people will say I want to be used by God right I mean I know people will say that now think about you know if if you say my friend is using me how would you feel? What does that mean? That's a bad thing, right? My friend is using me. But when we say it's because a person's taking advantage of you. But if we say, I want to be used by God, aren't we saying, I really want God to take advantage of me? I really want God to put me in places where I really have to rise to the occasion. You know? I want to be on the front lines with God. I want to go where, you know, go where he go where he needs somebody at that moment. You see? Now that is not works because it doesn't come from me. It comes from God, you see? It comes from my desire to respond to what God has done in my heart. God has evoked a response. If he hadn't if he hadn't touched me, I would not even want to do I would like I said I'm a selfish person. I'm not going to give money to random people on the street, you know. Poor investment. The guy can't even walk, right? Never going to be able to do much. So why should I give him any money? You know, he's got he's got some house to take care of whatever, you know. No, but see it's not get the money doesn't even matter. It's the human being that God loves, you know. So that's kind of how I wound up thinking about that all right so therefore so this is a verse that comes to um, that that kind of becomes uh, the crucial verse here therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation in with fear and trembling uh oh there we go works right have to work for it for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what this is telling us is 
that God is already at work in us. He's already, like I said, touching us on the inside. And, and what Paul is asking us to do, he's saying, go for it, own it, make it your own, you see. Because, you know, God wants us to own our salvation. He wants us to, because our salvation is us. God wants to give us ourselves, you see. He wants us to own ourselves in, in the relationship with him, you see. And so he says, go for it, take it. Make it your own. And and you think, well, I'm going to fall flat on my face. And he said, no, you won't. Because I am at work within you. I'm, in, I'm helping you to want it and to do it. Okay? I'm there. See, this mutuality shows up in this, in this kind of way of working out our lives as Christians. You see, we don't do it on, uh, by ourselves. We do it with God. But we do it. And it feels like it's doing it by yourself. But then, you know, God does kind of show up. And it's kind of really strange how he does. But anyway, now I want to talk about the third soil. <laughs> Curses soiled again, right? you know. Anyway, uh, the third soil, I guess Daniel is going to talk about this this week, about the soils. <laughs> This weekend, so I'm kind of stealing a little of his thunder. Huh. What? Oh yeah, any questions? I've just been on a roll, so nobody fall fell asleep yet. So nobody. Ah. Okay, let's take a two-minute water break. Okay. You came to the right. <laughs> the right thing. Um, so um, our big problem is that we don't, well actually I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about a number of aspects of that. But let me just lay my cards on the table. Um, faith is believing what you don't see. Okay. And so why do you, in other words, my experience has been when I don't necessarily feel like God's in the picture. Uh, I just keep going as though he were. And, you know, I, I just always act or try to as if God was in the picture. Um, I'll talk later about how that works. I'll talk later about walking with God, about, you know, uh, that sort of thing. But the main thing is, if God has promised to be there, if he has promised to be there, the fact that we don't see him, well, I mean, if he's invisible, right? Where is he? Well, he's if he's promised to be there, he is in us through his spirit, okay? That's, you just have to trust, oops, okay. You just have to trust that. And so, in other words, you, it, it's it, it works through time. There will be times when we won't feel like God is there. But the question is, what is more true? Have you ever, don't you at times feel one way and then feel another way? Don't you at times feel like, you know, things are a certain way? And then later on you say, wait a minute, that wasn't that way at all. Or you feel bad about something and then later you feel good about it or vice versa. So your feelings aren't necessarily telling you the truth, you see. So the question is, 
Do you trust the word of God? Do you trust the promise of God that he will never leave you nor forsake you? If God said that, then trust it because your feelings will change. Okay? And part of the, part of the, you might say part of the reason why, or I don't even look at it that way. Part of the process is that your feelings, you learn to become more and more immune to your feelings. They don't shake your faith. They don't take you away from God, you see. Because this, I think, is one of the big problems that people face. They go through life saying, I don't feel like God's there. Well, okay, you know, what are you going to do about that? Well, you can just throw it over. You can say, okay, I don't believe, I don't feel like God's there. So I'm just not going to bother with God anymore. But see, you're making your feelings the arbiter of truth. And that's a very poor arbiter of truth. You know, I hope that we'll talk more about it, but I, that's basically the idea. How do you, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, the mutuality is, you know, you have two ends to the two ends. One end is our our prayer to God. We are invited to pray to God, pray constantly, in fact. And we'll talk more about that later. But where does God come in? Well, um, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. But the most... Uh, I don't know quite how to put it. The most certain way to encounter God's voice is through the Bible, okay? And I would say just, you know, find ways to read the Bible. I know it's hard to read the Bible, especially for our post-literate age, you know. We're not into reading. We're <laughs> we're into, to, you know, visual stuff and all that or listening. But, you know, find ways, find things. Find ways to get the Bible into your head, because when it's in your head, that's where it does some good. If you have the Bible, the Word of God, rattling around in your head, you will find that it will be a, <laughs> what is that line, uh, a very present help in time of trouble. You'll find that God will use his word that you have remembered. And I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about making a fetish of, okay, I'm going to memorize five verses a day or whatever. Just read it. Just read it and read it with attention and it'll stick. If you if you read it enough, it'll stick. Find a way to read it. You know, I once gave um, a woman uh, in my church a copy of the Action Bible, which was a cartoon version of the Bible, you know, a, a, a graphic novel version of the Bible, because she said, I will read that. You know, I said, OK, here you go. Take it. Read it, you know. And, um, but I also use like the message, which is a paraphrase. You know, I, I just want to tell people, find a Bible that you can read and will read and then just go at it. And I'm, and don't worry about if you, you know, you don't have to do it like, okay, I got to do it every day for 25 minutes or, or whatever. Just do it as often as possible. Okay. As often as possible. And if you find your, that you've let, let it go. It's okay. God is not keeping score. He really isn't. This is another thing we have, uh, another idea we have of God is that he keeps score. 
God is not a scorekeeper unless you want him to be. And take my word for it, you don't want him to be. Okay? That's why Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Because with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. So I don't want to be judged, so I will try very hard not to judge others. Okay? I don't want God to keep score on me. So what I'm trying to say here is if you miss a, if you miss a week, if you miss a month reading the Bible, all right, you did. I mean, I'm not encouraging you to miss a month. I'm not encouraging you, you know, to stop doing it. But you can always start again. His mercies are new every morning, okay? God's always there saying, okay, let's, today maybe, today maybe, every day. Today, maybe, you know, it's always there. Well, okay, I hope that kind of, so so from his end, it's the Bible. That's the certain way. Doesn't mean he won't speak. I have had, I have literally had all but a voice in my head, not audible, but I've all but, you know, I knew. I knew what God was saying, you know, and it, you know, it actually worked out exactly the way I knew what he was saying, you know. Now, that doesn't happen every day because God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to own our lives. He, he wants us to be on the same page as him. So we know what to do because, you know, we kind of got, you know, what he's up to, right? We, we're, we're trying to do what he wants, Okay, then if you just told us everything, it's kind of like if you have a kid and you're constantly telling him what to do every moment of the day, that's no good. You know, he'll never learn anything. He'll never learn to be his own person. I, anyway, uh, but, so, but so we won't get that kind of guidance usually, but we will get it from time to time when we need it, you know. But most of the time what we want to do is listen to the places where we can hear God's word. Through reading the Bible, through hearing, you know, sermons or whatever. Uh, though I know sermons are not always that reliable. But um, basically you expose yourself to the word of God. Yes. All right. The third soil. Yeah. Yes, we're going to talk more about that kind of stuff. Oh, good. For, thank, thanks for thanks for zooming in, Ashley. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, and the others are the ones sown among, these are the seeds that the farmer's been throwing around. He's not really very good at this. Maybe he's a, a novice farmer. So he's throwing these seeds around and they're winding up all over the place. And some fall, some of the seeds fall among the thorns. And Jesus is explaining what the analogy is. And he says, some, or they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Okay, folks. Daniel told me about this uh, coach. There, there's, uh, there's this uh, video on Netflix, I guess, or this video series about this coach. What was it? Last Chance You? I forget the guy's name. Anyway, he was coaching a basketball team and and after, you know, after one practice, I guess it was a lousy practice, he walked back and forth in, this is where I can use the opportunity to walk. I'm 
gonna mess up. I'm gonna totally mess up here. Yes, okay. He walked back and forth saying, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? You know, what do you want? What do you? First he walked back and forth without saying a well, single that's thing true. for like nine plus minutes. Yeah. Literally, they were timing it. It was like literally nine plus minutes of silence because, you know, he's making the Billy Jack. What do you want? They were like what do you Yeah, see, so, I mean, you know, that's the question, right? That's the question. What do you want? I <laughs> I really, res I have to be honest, totally honest. I really resonate with the third soil. I find, I, I went through a lot of my life wanting a bunch of stuff, you know? And, and the result was I didn't accomplish much. I mean, I'm sure that I, you know, God used me in some ways, but I feel weird here. Like, anyway, um, see, this is a question. See, again, this is not bait and switch. This is asking, what do you want in life? You see, do you? Okay, so anyway, notice it, notice you know, it's the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. See, the problem with this thorny patch, what is wrong with this thorny patch? There's too much noise. No, there's too much life. This, there's too much, the calendar is too full. You know, there's a story about when Jesus was invited, or when the master was inviting people to, yeah, the master was inviting people to the banquet, and they all said, oh man, I'm so busy, I got, I got a, you know, I just got married, I just bought some cattle, I just bought new, pro you know, fields, I got to check it out, and, you know, I'm sorry, please, I, I, I'm, I can't make it, and, you know, so, so the master said, oh man, all right, go out and go out and find some lame people and homeless and all that, you know. And uh, you can imagine, you know, guy goes up to a home to a, to a lame guy and says, "Oh, are you free on uh, you know Thursday? You know, from say you know five to midnight?" And the guy, says, let me check my calendar here, and he gets his calendar out and his totally blank pages, right? You know, he has nothing going on. He says, I can make it, you know. So the problem is you have people that have too much going on. Their lives are too full. They don't have room for God. That's the question. Do you have room for God in your life? The more room you make for God in your life, obviously, the more you'll experience him, okay? See, what I'm seeing is people are, you know, being busy these days is like a badge of honor, right? You know, especially among Asians. I'm sorry. You know, one time I I was working uh, I was working at another church, and you know I was I would have coffee with this elder, and uh, and so one morning you know I'm saying okay well we're go we're leaving I'm saying okay take it easy and he goes don't say that say work hard, <laughs> and I'm thinking yeah you got to be busy you got to be busy you can't you know, and you see but 
But does that get, you know, the point I'm trying to make is we feel if we're not busy, time's a wasting, right? You know? Well, that's okay. That's a little bit of, but not too much. Yeah, no, just. <laughs> all right, all right. So, yeah, so that's the kind of attitude you want to, you, basically what you want is room for God. Or let me put it another way. Is that what you want? Because that other stuff is there. It's going to crowd out God if you if you let it, you know. And Somewhere along the line, you have to say to yourself, I want God. I want God more than anything else. And the Bible tells us, you know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay? Now, you can do it two ways. You can say, I'm going to get everything I need, and then I'll worry about God. And Jesus is saying... That ain't going to work. Or you could say, I'm going to worry about God first. I'm going to seek his kingdom first. And Jesus says, if you do that, you'll get, you'll get what you need. You'll get the rest of the stuff. You see, God, there are outrageous promises in the New Testament of provision, of abundance of life, of never lacking. You know, it promises all this stuff. You know, okay. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is kind of part of partly an answer to Ashley. I hope she doesn't take it in a negative way. But um, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why do you have to have? Well, first of all, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Here we go again, right? What is pure in heart? Well, pure in heart means your heart is not scattered all over the place. You don't want 12 different things. Imagine that you're a, you're a guy in love with like five different girls, right? You know, they get, they each get a piece of you, right? You know, um, you know, maybe that's all they want. I don't know. Who knows? But um, the point I'm trying to make is you can't have a relationship like that. You can't be scattered all, you can't have a divided heart. You can't have a heart that's after multiple different things, you know? You either go after one thing or another thing. Otherwise, you'll do a half, a halfway job of, uh, of everything, you know, and you won't see God. Okay, I'll say more about seeing God later, but I, I think. But the point is, um, it's not that God won't show him. Actually, this is to some extent, God will show Himself. But you'll miss it. You'll miss it because you're looking for other stuff, right? Anyway, but the point I'm trying to make is if you're looking for God, if you're focused on God, then when he shows up, you'll see it. Okay? If you're looking for 25 other things, you're probably going to miss out on when he does show up. Okay? Okay. All right. Now, here's another thing. I, coffee spoons. <laughs> I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. Yeah, Boba's. Okay, whatever. This is from an actual, genuine, published poem. So, the Boba one? <laughs> yes, well. <laughs> anyway, I have measured out my life. That, that always kind of hit me. I thought, imagine a friendship. 
where you say, okay, I'll give you this much, but you know, that's, that's it. I'll, I'll measure them out. You get so much, you get so much, you know, you, you're not going to give anybody too much, especially God, right? You know, I, I, there's what, something I call the circle game. Ah, how long do I have? Okay. Something I call the circle game. Yeah. Um, the idea is you want to draw circles around areas of your life that God can have, but the rest is yours. So, for example, the tithe. Okay, God wants 10%. I'll give him the 10%. Well, maybe. Maybe I won't even get, maybe 8% or maybe 5 But anyway, you'll give God a certain amount of money, right? And the rest is mine, you know. God can have that as long as he stays off my back. Now I can do whatever I want with it. Or I will come to church on Sunday. I'll give God a couple hours a week because I'm supposed to do that, right? But the rest of the rest of my time, it's mine. I call that the circle game. You're drawing circles around the areas of your life that God can have, but the rest is yours. There So there's a story about a minister, a priest, and a televangelist, and they're talking about how they split up the offering and so the minister said or the priest says, I have a holy altar. And when I, I take the offering and I throw it up in the air and everything that lands on the altar belongs to God and is used for God and the rest is my my salary, you know, my, what I, it's for me. And um, the minister says, well, I, I'm kind of like that too. I have a holy circle. I make draw the circle and throw the money up in the air and whatever lands in the circle I, uh, I, is for God's purposes. The rest is my salary, Okay. And the televangelist says, oh, you guys are so superstitious and, and uh, you know, ritualistic and all that. Man, you have no faith. What I do, I just take it all and throw it up in the air. Whatever God wants, he can have. <laughs> anyway, so it didn't work. Oh, well, anyway, the idea is <laughs> chuckle. <yeah. laughs> it's still funny. Anyway, anyway, the point is that God that the televangelist is right. You throw it all up in the air, and whatever God wants, he can have. Is that how you view your life? You know? Throw it up in the air, whatever God wants, he can have. Because that is where you will see God. It's not a matter of the things you do or anything like that. It's a matter of openness. It's a matter of being committed to the relationship and being open to the relationship. Okay, I know it sounds scary. Relationships are always scary. The more the more open you are, the more you can get screwed over, right? You know. So, okay. But here's the other thing. Here's the remember. This is a relationship. Relationship goes two ways, right? Listen to this. For the one sent from God speaks the words of God, for he gives his spirit without measure. See, God is saying, if you give your heart without measure, you'll see me. But he did it first. He gave himself without measure first. That's the way God relates, you see. God is not asking us to do anything he doesn't do. If you have God, you have all of God. 
that's why I kind of there are these songs I I don't really like. Well, <laughs> I won't go into that. But there's one song in particular that says, you know, give us more of you, God, something like that. I forget exactly. And I keep thinking, oh man. What are you doing with what you've got? You know, you've got him all. You've got all of God. Why are you asking for more? That's all he's got. It's him. It's his spirit. You got the whole thing. You got God. Are you are you open to all of God? Are you open to everything he's given you? You're blaming him as though he's holding out on you, but who's really holding out? You see. And again, I have no I, I have no lack of sympathy for anybody who finds this scary. It is scary. God will take you places that that you'll think, well, how did I get here? And it'll hurt. It will hurt. Okay? But it'll hurt it'll hurt in ways that are good. Okay? We'll talk about that a little more later. Now I'm going to talk about the adversarial relationship. I hate to end on that, but I will. I'm going to talk about the adversarial relationship and then we'll do the rest of it. The rest of it kind of is a separate thing. Um, um, we'll do that next time. <laughs> it's going to take longer than I thought. Everything takes longer than you thought, including when you take into account the fact that you were thinking it'll take longer than you thought. It still takes longer than you thought. Okay, what's an adversarial relationship? What is an adversarial relationship? You and your boss. No, I mean, no, just kidding. Um, an adversarial relationship is when you and the person you have the relationship with are not on the same page. You don't trust that person and or that person doesn't trust you. You're not sure what the goals of that person are in the relationship. You are, you are, and, and here, and it, it works out. What you what do you do in such a situation? You push back a lot. A, a perfect example of this is the one I always think of. Oh, I was going to make that one, so it, oh well, it all popped up at once. Oh well, um, uh, kids. All right. So uh, a boy comes home from school, and his mom says, "How was your day?" And what does he say? He says, fine. He then goes to his room. <laughs> right? Why? Because if he told her about the problem he had at school, he would not just have one problem after that. He would have two problems, right? Because his mom would give him... I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I, have, uh, I have weekly meetings with a family. They were, they were saying we're, we're struggling as a family. Uh, and, and our son is struggling. And... And they would tell me that this is what they do. You know, their son comes home with a problem and they scold him. You know, and we kind of, we've worked through a lot of this and they don't do that anymore. They, you know, they're, in fact, it's working out really. Their, their family is a lot better off than they were like three months ago. But um, uh, everybody feels better. But the point was, they didn't want to be, ad they didn't want to be adversary. They didn't want to be enemies. It's just the way they responded made them enemies you know the the kid the son thought that the parents hated him you know and they didn't but they would scold him they would criticize him because they wanted him to do better because they you know etc cetera, etc cetera. asian family right you know 
you you got an A minus. How dare you? You know, you got to study more. You know, you're the best kid. You, your grades are the best in the school. But and this is this is true. This kid had the best grades in the school. But why aren't they even better? You know, you're you're playing too many video games. You should be studying. You know, I'm I'm serious. This is what there was. This is what was going on. I'm I'm exaggerating the. I I don't know if I was actually. I mean, they they would yell at each other. So, and and I've been you know sort of working through how do you talk to each other so you don't make each other mad all the time. You know, anyway. But adversarial relationships are when you think the other person doesn't have your best interests at heart. Isaiah 7, 10 to 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, Oh man, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now you think to yourself, what on earth is going on with this guy? But you know, there is a commandment that says, do not test the Lord your God, right? So he was saying, I'm being a good spiritual guy, right? I'm not going to test the Lord my God. I always call this the worst prayer in the Bible. Those of you who know me, I have the prayers in the Bible, a list. No, actually, I only have two. There's the worst prayer in the Bible, and there's the second worst prayer in the Bible. And God answered the second worst prayer in the Bible. This is the only prayer he can't answer because he won't ask, right? Anyway, because he thinks God's out to screw him over. If I ask, God will get me because I'm violating a commandment. Don't test the Lord your God, you know. But God had just said, ask, you see. He really doesn't trust God. And if you read about Ahaz, you find out that he crashed and burned big time and he took... Jerusalem, uh, Judea with him. Okay, let's take a look. This is a, a, a lot of times what I find is that there are there are pairs. There are pairs of things in the Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, Matthew 25, 24 to 25. Um, this is about the parable of the talents where um, the master was given, giving out these sums of money to his different servants, telling him to go trade with them. And so then he came back and started, you know, seeing how they did. And the one who one was get one was given five talents, one was given two talents, one was given one talent. And the one who had five talents doubled it. The one who had two talents doubled it. The one who had one talent just buried it. Here's what it says. He he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, "Master, listen to this. I knew you to be a hard man." reaping where you do not sow, did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed so i was afraid and i went and hid your talent in the ground here you have what is yours so what's his attitude you're a hard man you're a hard man i am i just want to make sure you know you gave me this talent i just want to get out from under it i wish you hadn't i'm going to bury it in the ground and i'll give it back to you when you come back and we're free, we're square, we're square, right? And it's interesting what the master calls him. He calls him wicked and slothful. Now, slothful I can understand, right? He Lazy, all right? I didn't, I didn't want to do anything. Why wicked? Why wicked? And the answer is, if we understand the parable, the, the talent 
the, 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 the thing, the valuable things that this master has given out is the word of God. Okay, the job of the servants is to go out and spread the word of God, get the word of God out there doing something. Okay, well, what did this guy do? He buried it. It will do absolutely nothing. Now, what's so bad about that? Well, imagine you had a cure for cancer and you buried it in the ground. Nobody's going to get cured from cancer, right? Okay, this guy had the secret of eternal life. This is the word of salvation. And he didn't do anything with it. There's a, you guys heard of Penn and Teller, the comedian, uh, the magicians? Yeah, there's this, these two guys that are magicians, Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette, he's, uh, he's one of them. He's an atheist. And he, he said a guy came up to him and gave him a Bible. And he said, yeah, I'm an atheist, but I have a lot of respect for that guy. After all, if you had the secret of eternal life, how much would you have to hate somebody not to tell him? You see, so this guy buried the talent. That meant nobody could hear it. Nobody could get any benefit from it. Nobody. It was a total waste. That's why he was not just slothful, but wicked. He took a valuable thing and rendered it nugatory. Is that the word? Okay, so how, what should we be doing? Instead of seeing God as a hard man, instead of seeing God as out to get us, instead of seeing him as the one who we have to tread lightly around because, you know, we all have known people where if you say the wrong thing, you're, his, you're toast, right? You know, they'll, they'll take offense. They'll, you know, anything you do is wrong. You know, you, I, I knew somebody who uh, would ask me to do stuff. Whenever the person asked me to do something, I had two choices. I could do it and get criticized about the way I did it, or I could not do it and get criticized for not doing it. It was a. It was not a zero sum game. It was a negative sum game, right? It was. I was gonna. It was lose lose, right? Is that what God is like? Is God like that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm here to tell you. You know, preach it. God is not a hard master. Oh, he's not a hard man. In fact, you notice that. This game, the only way to play, the only way to lose this game is not to play, right? Because the first two guys, they doubled their money. They were wildly successful. They put it out there and it gave returns. You know, the only one who didn't win is the one who wouldn't play. This is a consistent theme with God. You play God's game, you will win. You just have to have the guts to take that little leap, you know? Like, anyway, I'm, I, I want to say one more thing. Push the envelope with God. Push the envelope with God. You see, Matthew 7, 7 to 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Do you... This is outrageous. This is ridiculous. Do you ever think of it? You read this. The only way you can read this and not say this is totally ridiculous is if you just 
let it go right right in one ear and out the other. I am not going to do this because it's not going to work, right? Don't we all say, yeah, that sounds really good, but yeah, never work. God, you know, that's just not how God works. Again, I'm here to tell you, you got to be careful what you ask God for. Actually, you don't. I won't. I will not say that. But you will get answers to prayers that you will be totally surprised. You know. And and anyway, I mean, I could I could tell you stories, but I will tell you, God is not a hard man. You cannot pray. So so you notice after this passage, he says, um, if you ask God for bread, will He give you? Um, a stone, or if you ask God for a snake, uh, a fish, will he give you a snake? No, he's not going to do that. He's going to bless you. God wants to bless you. Okay? So ask, seek, knock. You see? Push the envelope with God. Now, I will say, you can't use God as a means to your own ends. All right? Now, again, that you have to take that in the right way. God wants to be your partner. God wants to be your companion, your friend, your very present help in time of trouble. He wants to be with you all the time. I, if I could, if I had time to get to the rest of it, the rest of this talks about that. But the point I'm trying to make is, God wants to be closer than you are to you, the, closer to you than you are to yourself. He can know you more fully than you can know yourself. You see. Um, and do you think God wants to give you anything that would hurt you? A, does he want to give you anything that would hurt you? Obviously not. Because after all, he made you and he loves you. But does he want to deny you anything that would be good for you? It says this repeatedly. It tell, uh, um, Romans tells us that if he, if Christ died for us, um, if God gave his own son for us, I can't quite quote the verse, maybe someone else could, but if God gave his own son for us, will he not with him graciously give us all things? Do you ever hear those words and say to yourself, what is he talking about? You see, don't you want to find out? Don't you want to find out what he's talking? Don't you want to find out what this means? You know? I mean, okay, fine. Maybe maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you try it out. Say, I really gave it a shot. And I, man, I really, I, I crashed and burned big time. You know, I, I ran into so much stuff. I'll never try that again, right? Maybe. Or, but maybe, you know, you will never find out till you try. Maybe you will try it and you will be amazed. You will say, wow, it, God really met me here. You see? And I'm telling you, okay, I'm telling you that it, you will be amazed by how God will meet you. I speak from personal experience. I mean, like I said, I'm not talking about myself. I, I'm not the one who does, who, who, you know, gives and, and all that, fun, you know, all that. I, I'm not the one who empowers this. I'm the one who sits here and takes it. I'm saying, yes, God do it. This is great. You know? Okay. I'm going to stop there. Um, lack of time. I, I knew there was going to be too much. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's still, still next week. Yeah, we got, we'll do seven weeks. The, the plan was 
to do uh, relational spirituality this time. Um, what is God like? So if we're going to have a relationship with someone, like if someone, let's say you're, um, you're going to, someone wants to set you up, you know, what's the first thing you'll ask if, what's, what's the first thing you'll ask? You'll say, well, what's the person like? You know, it, describe this person, you know. So, you know, you can say, I'm kind of trying to set you up with God if you're not already, you know. So we want to, we want to find out, we want to look at what is he like? I said that he's not a hard man. Well, I'll prove it. I'll show you all the places where God, uh, I'll show you several places where God is definitely not a hard man, okay? 